Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please turn to Luke chapter 5. Will you do that? And uh, man, wasn't worship great this morning? Can we just give a hand clap of praise for that? Yes. I, uh, I realized when uh, I started to lift my hands, I realized my shirt was too small and I busted a button, I think. So, uh, so uh, anyway, so uh, I might need to lose some weight. So anyways, but that was good. That was good. Thank you, um, worship team, for leading us um, in worship this morning. But we're going to continue worshiping by studying God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 5, as we are uh, continuing this series called uh, Luke, uh, looking at the man, the myth, the Messiah, talking about Jesus himself, but looking at um, this uh, third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you have John, but we're working our way through this just to see who this man named Jesus, who he really is. And so this morning... In Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, um, we are going to study, we're going to look at one of the, the most famous miracles of Jesus. It's one that you know, whenever I read this story, um, it always takes me back to, it always takes me back to my Sunday school class as a kid at Second Baptist Church in La Mesa, Texas. It takes me to that small room that had like one light that worked in the room, and all of us kids, we would, we'd gather in the center of the room and we'd sit down on, on hard, tiled floor because nobody cared about comfort back then. Are you with me? They didn't care. You'd sit down, you'd sit down on the rug and the rug was, was frayed and it was ripped and nobody cared. And you'd sit on this, on this rug in the center of the room and the, and the teacher would sit on a wooden chair. It was like 10 times too small. Do you know what I'm talking about? All you children's teachers, Sunday school teachers, you know what I'm talking about. You sit in that chair that's made for children, and you sit in it, and I remember that, and then I remember, I remember next to the teacher was an easel, and it had the famous or the infamous flannel board. Anybody with me? Oh, let's go way back, y'all. The flannel board, and you remember this, you'd sit there and, and the teacher would, would tell the story that they want to teach, and they would take out a character out of their bag, and they would put the character on the flannel board, or, or if it was a really good day, they'd ask one of, the, one of us to put the characters on the flannel board. And you would tell the story of, of Jesus, most of the time it was a parable, and you'd read and listen and, and tell the story through a flannel felt board. You know, students, there's, we're missing some students today do because uh, there's a big dance competition. Who knew that dance was a big deal in a Baptist church? <laughs> I wonder if the preacher's kids are involved in dancing. <laughs> well, back in the day, felt boards were the latest and greatest technology, weren't they? That was a big deal. Well, let's read this story. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And I want you to follow along. And I want you to, because I want you to kind of put this, make a mental felt board in your mind, if you will. And let's read this story, because we're going to read about a miracle that you're familiar with. We're going to read a controversy. They didn't teach me about this in children's Sunday school, about the controversy so much. And then we're going to see that the point of this story is something that we all desperately need, that's forgiveness. 
We all stand in need of spiritual healing. Well, let's look at the background of this story. Pick up in verse number 17. It's on the screen behind me. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as well. And this is what Luke, uh, this is what Luke writes. And by the way, I, I hear a, a ringing up here, so can we fix that if you don't mind? Thank you so much. Verse number 17, and it reads, One day he, this is Jesus, he was teaching. And there were some Pharisees and there were some teachers of the law sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform, what does it say? Healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but they couldn't find a way to bring him in because of the crowd. And they went up on the roof and they let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. And I want you to stop there for just a second. And let's put, let's put these characters that we've identified and let's put them on that felt board that you have in your mind, okay? Let's identify who these are, who these characters are in this drama. First off, there's a man that we know as Jesus. Put him on that felt bored in your mind. There's Jesus, and he's, and he's teaching people. And according to Mark chapter 2, this, this story is told in Matthew and in Mark as well, but in Mark chapter 2, Mark tells us that this takes place in Capernaum. Now, we've read about Capernaum earlier at the end of Luke 4, at the beginning of Luke number 5, but so Jesus has returned to Capernaum, which is his home base. And his home base typically was in Peter's home. So in your mind, put a house on that felt board. And so you have these, you have Jesus, you have the house, and then uh, the second players in this drama are, are the, the friends of the paralyzed man. So you've got four friends and a paralyzed man. Put them in your mind on the felt board. Put them on top of the house. Can you see it? Put them there. And we're going to get to those guys here in just a few moments. But the third party in this drama is a group that we know as the Pharisees. Now put them on the far right side on your felt board. Now in order to understand this drama, we need to understand who these men are called the Pharisees. Because they play a major role in the story. As a matter of fact, for the next three and a half years of Jesus' life, they play an important role in the condemnation of Jesus Christ the Messiah. So we need to know who they are. We need to know what they, under, what they believe. What, what do they want other people to believe? So let me just give you a brief understanding of, of who the Pharisees are. These men, there are about 6,000 of them in Israel. And these 6,000 men were, uh, were highly loved by people. The nation Israel loved them. Why? They were deeply religious. They were highly educated. They were sincere. They were moral. They were upright. People loved them. We in the church, we understand the history, so we kind of give them a bad rap, and, which is right and correct, but, but overall, these, these were good men. And one of the things that they saw themselves as, they saw themselves as, as guardians of the law of God. So in that day, what they had was the, book, the books Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's called the Mosaic Law. And part of the responsibility of the Pharisees 
was to know and to understand the law, the scripture. And so they knew the scripture backwards and forwards. Unfortunately, they added man's tradition to it. And so the Pharisees would follow rabbinical teaching, and rabbinical teaching was following the Mosaic law plus what men thought about that law. It was scripture plus tradition. That's what they believed. And so many times they put tradition above scripture, and I think we, we understand that. But one of the things that I want you to understand about the Pharisees is this. They were constantly looking for the Messiah to come. They, were look, they knew that a Messiah would come. They knew from reading Scripture and understanding it all, they knew that a Messiah was going to come. But let me tell you what the Pharisees were looking for. They were looking for a political leader. I want you to listen and see if this applies to anything today. They were looking for a political leader who was going to change the government. And they were also looking for social justice reform. Does that ring a bell with what's going on in our world today? Do you think the Bible is relevant today? You bet it is. The spirit of the Pharisees has never left. And the Pharisees, they are looking for a Messiah to come and have an earthly reign to rule, to judge, and to sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem. And so that's their motive. They're looking for the Messiah, but they're looking in the wrong direction. And so when we're introduced to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, this is the first mention of the Pharisees in Luke's gospel. And Luke tells us this. He tells us that they have come from all over Galilee. They've come from Jerusalem. They've come all the way from Judea. And they've come to this little town on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. They've come to Capernaum to hear this man named Nazareth. Now when I read this, I'm going, why are these people coming to hear this man named Jesus who has not identified himself as the Messiah? Are you with me? He hasn't identified that yet. But for some reason, these men have come all across the nation and they've come to hear Jesus teach. Why? Let me give you two reasons. Now, I want you to hang with me tonight. Today, tonight. That's when I'll finish, okay? Actually, my daughter said, Daddy, have a short sermon today. I said, okay. And that was it. And uh, <laughs> she laughed. She's like, it ain't going to happen. Well, we'll see. Because they dance here in a little bit. But, uh, um, anyway, well, they move to music. Let's put it that way. They don't, they don't dance. <laughs> Dancing in Baptist. So a couple of reasons. A <laughs> couple of reasons why. This is important to, to, to the story that we're going to tell. So there's a lot of setup here, but, but I want you to hang with me. The reason the Pharisees have come to hear Jesus, there's two reasons that I believe. Number one is because of rumors. Everybody loves rumors, don't they? When rumors fly, boom, tell me the rumor. Pharisees hear rumor. What have they been hearing? They have been hearing that somebody is doing some miracles in Capernaum. They've been hearing something about a man. They think his name is Jesus from Nazareth, and he's been performing some miracles. 
As a matter of fact, Luke says in Luke 5 verse 15, he says this, news about Jesus was spreading. So Jesus has just begun his public ministry, but all of a sudden his ministry is exploding and crowds are gathering around him to hear him. They want to be healed by him. And now you have this group of of Pharisees. They want to know what's going on. So they've heard these rumors. They're going to go check it out. The second reason why I believe they came to hear Jesus is because of this. Because they have heard that a messianic miracle has just taken place. Now, you're looking at me right now going like, what in the world is a messianic miracle? That's a really good question. Because this is important to the understanding of Pharisees and to what Jesus did here in a few moments. So hang with me. A lot of setup here. So are you ready? We're going to build it. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready to build. We're going to build this. So they've heard rumors, this man's doing something, and then they've heard a messianic miracle has taken place. Now, according to rabbinical teachings, which the Pharisees, um, they studied, they understood, miracles were broken into two parts. One was a regular miracle, meaning anybody empowered by the Holy Spirit could perform a miracle. It's a regular miracle. And we see some some of those in Scripture. And then the second category of miracles, according to their understanding and teaching, was called a messianic miracle, meaning there were certain miracles that only the Messiah would perform. And so the job of the Pharisees, it was this. Once they heard that a miracle took place, they had to go find out. So the Pharisees here are doing their job. So they have to go find out what's going on. So when a Pharisee hears that a miracle has taken place, two two stages take place. The first one is called the stage of observation. So the Pharisees will go to that individual. They will listen to them speak. They will watch them live. They will see what they did. And they will gather information during that first stage called the stage of observation. But according to rabbinical law, during that first stage, they couldn't ask any questions. You'll see here in a few moments that in this story, the miracle and the controversy, the Pharisees do not say a word. Why? They're in stage one stage, the observation stage, where they are gathering, where they are gathering facts. After they were to gather facts, they would go all the way back to Jerusalem, they'd have a meeting, and they'd say, well, was this miracle, uh, was this guy, was this, is he legit or is he not legit? If they determined that he is legit, they go to stage two, which turns into the interrogation stage. Do you see it? Do you see the picture of the Pharisees? By the end of Jesus' public ministry, these Pharisees are in stage of interrogation, and they are going after the man named Jesus. Do you get it? But it's just beginning right here. They are doing their part, and they are in the observation stage. Well, why were they in this observation stage? What happened? Look back in verse number 12, okay? Let's set this up. You still with me? You hanging? All right, look at verse 12 because this, this is good. This is really good. 
Look at verse 12. This is going to tell us why these men came back to Capernaum. Verse number 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, behold, there is a man covered with, what's that word? Leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. If you're willing, make me clean. Now, now, let me explain this to you. This man has leprosy. According to Mosaic law, the completed Mosaic law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, according to the, the Pharisees, according to rabbinical teaching, there was no record of any Jew who had been healed of leprosy. Does that make sense? For thousands of years, since the completion of the Mosaic Law, according to the Pharisees and rabbinical teachings, there had been no recorded evidence of a Jew being cleansed from leprosy. Now, if you read the Old Testament, there's two people who have been cleansed from leprosy in the Old Testament. Miriam, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Do you remember this story? She came down with leprosy. Moses uh, healed her. God, through Moses, healed her. She was fine. And then, but that was before the law was completed. So that didn't count. You read later on in the Old Testament, you read about a Gentile by the name of Naaman, who was a, a leper, and then, and then he was cleansed of leprosy. So, so those don't count. One was before the completion of the law. The other one was, was a Gentile. But for thousands of years in, in, in rabbinical teaching, in, in the Pharisees' understanding, there's been no, no Jew that has been ever cleansed of leprosy. And according to the Jew, according to the rabbis, according to the Pharisees, this is what they believed. The first healing of a Jewish leper was the first messianic miracle. You get it? You tracking? Balcony, you with me? No, you lost me when you began. That's all right. All right? Now, let's build some more. Let's understand this because we're going to see this take place in what Jesus does here in a second. In Leviticus 13 through 14, Leviticus is everybody's favorite book. Amen? That's when you begin your reading plan in January. You get to Leviticus. Well, I'll start again next January. In Leviticus 13 through 14, the Mosaic Law, it tells the priesthood how to respond when a leper is cleansed. And so it has all of these things that you have to do. And one of the requirements of a leper that has been cleansed from leprosy, he is to go to the priesthood and say, I'm a leper, but I have been cleansed. The priesthood is then to look at them, give an offering of two birds, and then for seven days they do their investigation. And they're asking questions or seeing if this is legit or not. After seven days, if he proves to be a leper who has been cleansed on the eighth day, there, is, there are four offerings that are offered by the priesthood. But according to tradition, no leper, no Jewish leper has ever experienced this. But yet God has this in the Mosaic law. And so whenever the, the Pharisees hear that a leper has been healed, what do you think's going on in their mind? Man, something's, 
Something's going on. I've got to figure out what's going on. Well, verse 12, it says this. There is a leper, and he has come to Jesus. Look at verse number 13. Okay? Y'all ready? Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. In the margin of your Bible, write this. This is the first messianic miracle. Meaning this, the Messiah is on the stage. The Messiah is here. Now watch, look at this. This, I mean, I'm getting excited. Look, look at what Jesus tells him to do. Look at verse 14. What does Jesus tell the leper to do? And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to who? To them. Do you see it? Do you see what happened? Jesus knows the Mosaic law, knows that this hasn't happened, and he tells this leper, he says, you know what, here's what you need to do. You go back to the priesthood and you tell them exactly what has happened. Who is them? It's the priesthood, it's the Sadducees, and it is the Pharisees. Wow. Is your mind blown? Okay, good, fantastic. <laughs> I worked hard on all that background study for you. But here's what I want you to understand because this is what's gonna bring up this next miracle in controversy. Jesus did this on purpose. We get so, so many times, we get so caught up in the fact that Jesus physically healed a person. Praise God, he still heals, amen? But there's always a greatest purpose behind the physical healing. There's always a greater purpose behind the physical healing. And in the physical healing of the leper, here's what Jesus is doing. I'm telling you who I am, and my name is the Messiah. And I'm on the stage, and you need to listen to me. Jesus did this on purpose. Last night as I was praying and finalizing today's message, I was, uh, I was alone at the house because my girls are uh, down in Jacksonville getting ready for their musical movement competition. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, they left me with the cat. The last thing my wife told me before they left, she said, be nice to the cat. <laughs> I said, I will, cross my heart, you know, all that I did. So I'm at, so I'm at the kitchen table, and, and you know, I'm praying, I'm, I'm going over some things, and all of a sudden, my cat begins to meow. I'm like, oh. And calmly, I said, Bandit, please be quiet. Well, as any normal cat would do, he didn't obey me. So again, I calmly said, Bandit, be quiet. And again, he did not obey me. But this time, he looked at me, turned around, walked over to his Treat ball. I did not buy the treat ball. My wife and daughters bought the treat ball. The treat ball is we put treats in it every morning, and he'll swipe it around, and the treat will come out, and he'll go get a little snack. Well, I do that every morning for a cat I don't love. (laughs) 
And every morning my girls say, Daddy, did you give bandit treats? Yes, I always do. Just leave me alone. That's what I tell them. So there's this treat ball. It's over there on the ground. He looks at me, turns around, and walks over to that ball. He gets to the ball. He looks at me, looks back at the ball, and no joke. He looks at me, looks back at the ball, and he does this. Bam! <laughs> Flies across the wooden floor, slams it to the cabinet, makes all of this noise. He does that four other times. I call Angela. I said, your cat is about to lose one of his nine lives. I am, I'm, I'm done. I said, what is going on? And she said, well, have you fed him this afternoon? I said, wait a minute. I said, we feed him one time in the morning. She said, I don't know, but have you fed him? I said, honey, we... We took him to the vet because he's fat. <laughs> and he said, feed him one time. And she got real quiet. I'm like, oh. She said, well, I forgot to tell you that every afternoon I give him a handful of food. So he's hungry. I said, well, this cat is throwing the ball all across the room. And my wife said, yeah, he's doing it on purpose because he's telling you something. Jesus is doing something on purpose. And he wants you to see. He has purposely healed this man of leprosy. One, because he loves the man but he wants the world to know, I'm here. I'm here, the Messiah is here. And Jesus knows that once he told that man that he cleansed from leprosy, he knows that once he told him to go to the, to the priesthood in Jerusalem, he knows somebody is, he knows it. He knows it. This is one of the things I love about Jesus. He's not afraid. He's not afraid of what men think of him. Because he's the Messiah, and he has what all men need. And he says, Pharisees, come on. Because I want to show you I'm the one that you're looking for. Well, pick up verse number 17. One day he was teaching and there were some Pharisees, teachers of the law, they're all sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal. And so there you see, that's why all the Pharisees are there. They're there to watch Jesus. They're there to observe Jesus. They're to see if he's legit. They're to see if he's a maniac. They're to see what's going on. But they're not there to ask questions because their time has not come to ask the questions yet. And so you know the rest of the story, verses 18 and 19. As Jesus is teaching in this, in this house, possibly Peter's house there in Capernaum, possibly, maybe not, but, but he's in Capernaum. He's teaching. It's crowded. 
There's people all around him. They're listening, and the Pharisees are sitting around the wall, and they're listening to every word that Jesus speaks. And suddenly, something above them starts to, to, to make noise, and, and something, uh, something starts to happen. Uh, dirt begins to fall down. And Jesus doesn't mind the distraction. He keeps on teaching until you can see like a, 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 a beam of light just come shining through from top to bottom because a, a hole has appeared. And you can imagine all the people are in the house and all of a sudden they look up and they see four faces looking down. And they're, they're shocked and and Jesus is probably steps back and looks, and these, these four men begin to lower their friend down on his stretcher. And they lower him all the way down, right into the feet of Jesus. And you see the Pharisees. They're going, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I can't wait. He's either going to be a, a, a lunatic, or, or we're, we're going to have to have some more conversations with him. So all eyes... All eyes are on Jesus and on this paralyzed man who's laying down on his stretcher, has been lowered down, and all eyes are there, and it's quiet. And look at verse 20, and look at what Jesus does. In verse 20, Luke gives us the answer. Verse 20, it says this. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now stop there for just a second. Does that seem odd? That seems odd to me. That, 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 that seems odd to me. First of all, whose faith does he recognize? Theirs. References the four men who, who lowered their friend down onto the ground. And so I think a, 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 a secondary point of this text is this. Friends bring friends to Jesus. That's a secondary point to this story. But friends bring friends to Jesus. And so Jesus sees these four men. He's like, man, I see your faith. He's like, I admire your creativity. Man, you guys are pretty good. Jesus said, I admire that. And, and, and so he, he says, seeing their faith, it's a reminder to us that friends bring friends to Jesus. I mean, if you're a good friend, you bring them to Jesus. And you want a friend that brings you to Jesus. I, I'll tell you this. Again, this is a secondary point to this text but I will tell you this, your friends determine uh, a, a great direction in your life. If you're walking down the path of immorality and of sin and debauchery and you're hanging out with a certain group of friends, but you know that you need to be living differently, I promise you, if you do not change your friends, you won't change. Students, Parents, know the friends of your sons and daughters. You take an interest in them. You know who your children are hanging out with. But there's something else that's, that I think is pretty odd in this text. And, and what is it? What, if, what, 
What do you think Jesus should have said first to this paralyzed man? Stand up. Does Jesus not see that he's paralyzed? Well, no, he sees that he's paralyzed. He's right there in front of him. You would think he would say, you would think that he would say, uh, get up. You would think he would say, take up your mat. You, you walk. Be healed. Well, why in the world did Jesus not say that first? Instead, he said, your sons are forgiven. Because there's a greater battle going on in this story than we ever know. We only see the physical And we get stuck on the physical so many times, but Jesus goes far beyond the physical. He wants to get to your soul. He wants to get to your spirit. And he looks straight through what we look through. Because he knows that this man who's laying on the ground, who's paralyzed, he knows this. He needs a much deeper healing than physical. And I think here's the reality that we need to understand is that there is more than one kind of paralysis that can paralyze us. Amen? Yes, there are, there are diseases that can paralyze our body. But there are many people who are paralyzed in their soul because of sin. And many of us, maybe you, your life is powerless your life is unproductive, it's because you are bound and paralyzed by sin. Because you have chosen to live in direct opposition to the word of God. And you wonder why. And Jesus is telling us here that there is that there's something bigger at stake here. What he's telling us is this. Our biggest problem is spiritual, not physical. Now, pastor, you saying that it doesn't, that that the healing of people physically doesn't matter? No, 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 I'm I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying this, a healed body does not guarantee you spiritual eternity. You see, what I see taking place in the world today, mainly among churches, is this. I see a drift to be more concerned about physical healings and physical improvements and social justice improvements while disregarding the problem, which is spiritual. And our lost world perpetuates that problem. Our world in, in, in America, I would say that we are taught to take care of those who are in need. And yes, that is biblical 100%. And so we, we build wells. Need it. Need it. I'm for it. But if we don't tell them about Jesus, it's all for naught. Are you with me? Our biggest problem is always spiritual, not physical. 
Am I trying to downplay the physical healing? No, please don't, please, please don't misunderstand me. Jesus just healed a leper. Jesus just is just about to heal this paralyzed man. Physical healings are important, but I know this. I would much rather go into heaven with a lame arm than both arms well and me living in sin and going to hell. Well, watch this. Look at verse number 21. Y'all with me? Watch what the Pharisees do. The scribes and the Pharisees, they begin to reason. That word reason means they begin to think in their mind and in their heart. Why? They're in stage one of observation. They can't talk. Jesus has just shown himself to be the Messiah by healing the leper. By saying to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven because only God can forgive sins. Verse 20, the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? And who can forgive sins but God alone? Little do the Pharisees know they are so close to the Messiah and they don't even know it. Look at that word, forgive. Luke uses it in verse 21. He uses it in verse 24. Um, He used it in verse 20. And he actually used it in verse number 11 as well. That word forgive, it's the Greek word aphiomi. Aphiomi. And, And it literally means, it literally means in secular Greek, which is where Luke pulled this from, It literally means to to bury a pot into the sand so that the handle is not sticking up so that you can see it. It literally means don't bury the pot so that the handle sticks up so that you can see it. It It means to bury it so that you can't see it and you have no idea where it is. Are you with me? Jesus has just told this paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. They've been buried so that you cannot see the handle of that pot. It's gone. It's completely gone. You can't see it. You can't find it. You can't go back to it. Here's what I know when it comes to to confession for many of us. So many times we confess, we bury the pot in the sand, but we leave the handle of the pot still sticking up out of the sand. And time and time again, we go back to it again and again, and we pull that pot back out, and we go, God, why? God, why? And he says, I forgive you, my son. I've, 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 I've buried it. I don't see it, so quit pulling it back up again. It's the same word that Luke uses in Luke 5, 11, when it explains the call of Peter. And the catch of fish and, 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 and Peter and the disciples bring, bring the fish and the boats back to the land. And it says, then they dropped their nets and they completely left everything. A fee of me. And so Jesus says, listen, listen, son. And he's going to tell us in a couple of verses later. He says, take your mat, get up and walk. But more importantly, I want to let you know your sins are forgiven. Because the only one who can forgive sins is the Messiah the Son of God. 
He's the only one who has the authority to do that. Listen to these words. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Micah 7, 18 through 19, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in his unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, yes, I will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And Jesus, in that moment, everybody's watching. And he doesn't say what everybody wants him to say. He says the more important thing. Your sins are forgiven. I don't don't know where you are this morning. I, I don't know, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you are in your relationship to the Holy Father. But I know that some of you need to hear this. Jesus forgives you. His name is the one who forgives. He's calling you right now. Why don't you answer his call? Answer his call. He's called out to you. He stretched out his arms for you. He said, my son, you don't have to, you don't have to, have to, you don't have to live under the burden of your sins. But here's what he says to you. He says, you have to come to me. Jesus has already taken the first step. And let me tell you something, he's not going to take another step. He's already done it. He says, come. Come and lay all of your burdens at the foot of my cross. And my promise is this, I will forgive you. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will give you a new life. I will give you a new master. And I will change you. And I will live in you. And I will give you joy, unexplainable joy. But you got to come to me. So this morning, I ask you to come. Some of you may need to come for the very first time to give your life to Jesus. And you're carrying the weight of the sins upon your shoulders. And that's never been the plan. Jesus has already done that. Would you come? I'll be here. Maybe some of you need to come. Just come to the altar and pray. Say, God, I'm sorry. I I give up. I confess. I receive your forgiveness. But whatever it is, won't you come and won't you answer the call of Jesus? Father, we thank you for this day. Come.
make us whole. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.